Before we get into the show, I have a little reminder for you. As you may already know, The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee every month. And in return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Michael Fryer, Jim Awofadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, José Ozi Stankovic, Gabriela Gref Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Yardin Iftach, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you're like them and believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. And if you can't make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate all your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. We never tire of saying it, but the Explaining Brazil podcast is powered by the journalistic engine that is the Brazilian Report, an independent media outlet covering Brazil and Latin America for audiences around the world. But what you might not know is that the Brazilian Report is turning five years old this year. And in actual fact, our fifth birthday is today, October 19th, the very day we are releasing this podcast. So to celebrate, we're doing something a little different this week. I'll be talking to our co-founders, Gustavo Ribeiro and Laura Kiran, to discuss the origins of the Brazilian Report, how we've made it this far and where we're going from here. And don't worry, this isn't just going to be us patting ourselves on the back because the Brazilian Report's story also helps explain the current climate of journalism and doing business in the country. It is one for the fans, but I'm sure you'll learn a lot too. My name's Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. So I had prepared a big spiel about the Brazilian Report being created in 2017, charting our ups and downs since then. But even though I've been with the Brazilian Report for more than four years now, I wasn't there right at the very start. So that's where I'm going to bring in our co-founders, Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro and CEO Laura Kiran. Guys, happy anniversary. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Well deserved. So, I mean, let's start from the beginning then. So tell us where the idea for the Brazilian Report came from and all the hurdles that you had to jump between that moment and when the site kind of first went live. Well, we, we were living in France at that time and, and Gustavo was getting very annoyed uh, that my folks only really knew cliches about Brazilians. And um, on my side, I was already an entrepreneur at the time, working as an agent for French high-end designers in China. And I told him that, he could complain about the situation or do something. So he started out with a blog in French about Brazil, deconstructing this cliche and explaining what the French people didn't know about Brazil yet, while also giving his view on politics on, in his home country. And that's how he got the attention of some big French media outlets. And he started writing for them from time to time. 
Yeah, no, and this is very interesting because I remembering that I started to uh, write about Brazil for this French um, online news website. And I remember that was when we have like this sort of light bulb moment because I turned in uh, attacks about the rise of conservatism in Brazil and how Brazil's Congress at that time was the the most conservative that we had seen in democratic times. Of course, we have topped that on the subsequent elections, <laughs> especially this one. Um, and then he said something like, um, well, it's different. We uh, can see spot the difference when it's a Brazilian journalist writing about Brazil as opposed to a French journalist. So that was a little bit of a, a light bulb moment that mm, maybe – there's something there that we could do, especially because I was finishing my master's in uh, political science in France, and we were thinking about moving to Brazil, but the, 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 the prospect of joining a newsroom, like a traditional newsroom where I had worked for years, did not appeal to me that much because working conditions are hardly superb. Pay is hardly superb, and the pressure is just like amazingly high. So to know that maybe there was a niche that we could tap into was was kind of a like the the first moment that the idea of a website about Brazil to foreigners and I mean in English because that's the main language that we use internationally. That's when it started. And then when we eventually got back to Brazil, we I talked to these people who had worked with me, journalists, and we started this website called plus55.com, which is a lot like the Brazilian report, but at the same time, very different because we were not focused just on politics and economics, but trying to do a little bit of everything, which looking back at it was a big mistake. And... Um, that's how we went. Um, of course that project didn't pan out, uh, which is why we had the Brazilian report. No, when Gustavo started his first project, we, we had just landed in Brazil and, uh, I started to help him with marketing sales and anything I could assist with. And of a total of eight partners, we were the ones keeping the project alive. And, uh, I wasn't even a partner as I wasn't legally part of the company. So he said, uh, you know, let's start our own, you know, with our own vision. And uh, that's basically how the Brazilian report was born. And so we started the company in our own apartment. Do you remember the first meeting we had, Ewan? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Gustavo had to go and do a TV interview and I was left struggling to understand anything you were saying because of your Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Today, of course, this is not an issue anymore for for you. And years. the yep. people who listen to the podcast uh, <laughs> and, and watch our YouTube videos, mm -hmm. that's one of the that's now a feature, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, we, we we get many comments about uh Ewan's accent. It's it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Flattered. And uh, for four years, we've been working side by side and uh, you're part of the foundations of the Brazilian Report, of course. And we're really proud of this journey uh, that we've spent together. And just to uh, add a little bit about how we did the transition, because Laura and I, we had this vision that we should, because we're small and I mean, there's just so much you can do. We had to 
not try to do everything and focus on um, politics and economics and also not try to do a free website to try maybe with Google ads, uh, get our revenue because then you have to be massive for it to be consequential. So we knew we wanted a paid product in a very niche product and also that idea. And this is quite interesting because uh, a lot of the Brazilian report came by accident, that French editor who made a comment. And then I remember I was visiting an embassy in Brasilia and the political attaché said to me like, okay, I have this daily newsletter that I get about Brazilian news. I don't, like it doesn't suit all my needs. If you do a better product, uh, then I'll buy it. And I remember um, I was very excited talking to my former associates like, oh, I just landed one client for a newsletter. And then when I told the price, uh, this associate says, oh, well, but I mean, that's not going to do anything. And I said, well, yeah, if we sell one newsletter, then it's not a business model. If, But the newsletter is a product that can be scalable. And that's when we started to see like divisions were very different. So maybe we should just like do what we were thinking because we had very clear in our minds what we had to do. And the problem of having a lot of associates is, okay, we need to buy a pen and we have to have a Skype call with eight people, get <laughs> convinced eight people that, oh, a pen is needed. A pen costs X amount of AI. So, I mean, yeah. just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. And that the good thing is like, uh, we are the, the two making the decisions and the, the process is uh, much faster, <laughs> let's say. Exactly. And well, so when then, once the Brazilian report was set up, when did you realize that it was going to be a success? When did the, when did the penny drop? Um, it's, it started with embassies who showed great interest in our analysis. And, and then we had think tanks and then multinationals subscribing to our reports. So personally, I've believed in this project since day one and kept saying to Gustavo that we were building an empire and I still stick to it. <laughs> We'd make mistakes as entrepreneurs in the past, but with all that experience, I knew the Brazilian report would be a success. And uh, I knew we'd be okay in 2018. Um, after Bolsonaro was stopped, Gustavo gave his first interview to the BBC. It was just before a holiday, so everyone was on vacation but we were still working. And then the Brazilian report was featured on the BBC, less than one year after our launch. Gustavo and yourself, you have since been on the major foreign TV stations on multiple occasions. But that first one was very, very special. Yeah, I think for me, the BBC moment was... Uh, because, so you know us for a long time and you work with us and you, we speak to each other every day. So you know that... I'm far less optimistic than Laura <laughs> in every <laughs> sense. So, I mean, at, the, at first, I'm like, okay, I believe we're doing a good project. And I believe that the quality of the journalism we're putting out there is good. But will it work? I, I mean, I'm like, let's see. And I mean, if we fail, we fail. But at least we failed trying to do something we believe in. But it took me more than Laura to say, okay, this is like really panning out. Um, and I think also the fact that uh, this is the first time that uh, for me, I'm in that side who is hiring people. And um, and then I think the pressure becomes very different because now we're talking about people's livelihoods and 
And then you're like, okay, this has to work because like there are people depending on this. Um, so yeah, it took me, uh, I think for me it was more during the pandemic when then we really started being featured on a lot of um, media outlets that are renowned and as a one good, reliable reference about like content about Brazil in English. So I, I would say more the pandemic uh, because in 2018, we were still very small uh, and we're still struggling to to make some ripples uh, in, on social media and to internet. So I, I remember for me, uh was in May when we did this uh, very slick video about the timeline of Jair Bolsonaro's statements about the pandemic, belittling COVID and the number of deaths. And it was picked up by Vox. They did a, a piece about our video. Like that was like, okay, this is making some waves. And like, that was pretty satisfying. And not only this, like you were featured in the podcast Today Explained, which was one of your dreams that you achieved. Yeah, my favorite podcast. Your favorite actually. podcast. Wait, ever. you mean that this isn't your favorite podcast? <laughs> <laughs> my second favorite <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, guys, so as many of our listeners are aware and something we've covered on the website before as well, Brazil is, you know, it's kind of fertile ground for startups. Um, but also, as we know, a huge part of these companies don't don't make it very far. You don't get past a few years. Um, and that's especially true when we talk about you know, media companies and companies trying to do journalism. Yet here we are in the Brazilian report turning five years old, still going strong. What's the secret? I think, I think one thing that works on our way is that we try to learn not only from our mistakes, but for, uh, from other people's mistakes. So we try to, um, take people's experience and, try not to to do what we think went wrong with them. Um, but I mean, I, I think uh, to be an entrepreneur in Brazil, you also have to have some sort of uh, privilege. One, like to have some capital to start, but also in our case, for instance, my father, he does a lot of administrative work. So he knows like the nuts and bolts of how to, uh, what you have to do to issue a nota fiscal, like when you're uh, billing a, a customer, uh, and, and all these things like not, uh, that you have to do for the administrative machine to be more oiled. Uh, so getting that advice, uh, at home was, was a privilege that a, a lot of people don't, because Jesus, and we have covered this Brazilian bureaucracy is a labyrinth and can trap uh, companies, especially small companies who do not have the, the manpower to deal with all the stuff that you have to do. Um, and I also think that uh, we have been very lucky uh, in recruiting because I think that um, uh, we have gotten people who share our vision of what good journalism is and who share our commitment and God knows we were talking this last week, I can't be a workaholic. So people that like don't necessarily have to, to work as many hours as I do, but who understand the drive and the importance of the things we're doing. 
And as I remember what you said last year in our uh, end of the year meeting, uh, we're no assholes policy in the company that helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I said the secret is to create a, a peaceful working environment, like with the least amount of tensions as possible. Um, we ask our staff what they want to do in the company. For us, it's very important and uh, it helps them, you know, feel valued and passionate about their work. We listen to them, we welcome their ideas, we incorporate them into the company strategy. And uh, for example, like uh, the Latin America Weekly Newsletter was a project brought to us by our reporter, Lucas Berti. And it was a success. And now we've got a whole Latin American division with an editor in Buenos Aires. So it's a huge achievement. Um, I mean, this was, uh, you know, a, a project that we analyzed and we say like, okay, you know, like, yeah, let's try and uh, let's see where it goes. And it went well. And uh, another example which comes to my mind is uh, our live broadcast that we did on October 2nd um, and that we're going to do again on October 30th for the, the second round. And we invite you guys to, to really follow us uh, on uh, YouTube because uh, you you will learn a lot uh, with this um, with this live following election results, you know. Um, but uh, they really impressed us with their ideas and their professionalism. And so, you know, it's I think it's a mix of uh, trust the people you work with and creating good conditions for working. I mean, I hope you don't think we're lying here. <laughs> <laughs> No, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I would add that what we do requires a lot of work, like loads of work. We've definitely got more stuff than we did when we started, but everyone really has to put the effort in. People have no idea, but like Gustavo wakes up every day at 5.30 to write our daily newsletters. And he went and edits them before we put them out around 9. So... <laughs> It's not easy to to do that every week there for the you know past five years, but you've been waking up guys every single day, and uh, I really admire you for that. And also, like uh, for the podcast, uh, we've got well over two hundred episodes now, and you guys do it every week, planning it all on Tuesdays and recording later that same day, which is really really admirable. And yeah, so over these five years, I mean, we've covered elections, crises, disasters, and even, you know, a pandemic. And throughout all that time, we've published tons of stories. And as you mentioned, podcast episodes and newsletters, all that sort of stuff. Do you guys have a, like a favorite moment uh, or maybe a favorite story on the website or some sort of milestone accomplishment? For me, my favorite story um, there are two, I think. One is in 2018 when Bolsonaro won and we had very quickly this piece called um, Which Brazil Will Bolsonaro Inherit? And it was a huge piece and really like um, a massive uh, work on every aspect of Brazil from violence to vaccination coverage, health policies, um, to Congress. I mean, everything you can think of. I remember it was something that took weeks editing uh, between both of us, plus the, the reporter's work, a lot of graphics and, you know, like I crazy about charts and graphics. Uh, so for me, it was like really good. And we're, we're still really young, uh, still like 
tethering uh, to 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 uh, like know what what the hell we were doing. That was one. Uh, another one was more recent, the hunger, the special hunger report that we did with input from Cadolini Coutinho from Maceió, Lucas Berti uh, here from São Paulo, Amanda Aldi who spearheaded the, the, the whole project from Brasilia. Uh, it was a gut-wrenching report to edit, and, um, but it was really good, really well done. But I also would like to say, like, not a favorite story on the website, but my favorite story about the website, uh, which uh, is about, like, how we were able to make subscriptions easier for readers. And it was because when we started, we only had PayPal as a payment gateway. And we wanted to put Stripe. For us, as uh, a paid content company, it was really easy because you just put your credit card in and then you can make your purchase. But the problem is we have our prices in dollars, but we are based in Brazil, which creates a lot of legal hurdles. So we had to establish a company in the States in order to have Stripe. And then on the first day we had Stripe on the website, I remember our subscriptions just skyrocketed. But then just a couple of days later, we got um, a letter from Stripe saying that our uh, our business had been flagged as a potential money launderer. And did, have you seen Breaking Bad? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, spoiler alert, people who haven't watched that. But there's, do you remember that moment when Saul Goodman is telling how to launder money by making those false donations through Walt Jr.'s website. Yep. So they were like, well, I mean, the administrators of this company, which is based in the U.S., are accessing from Brazil, and a lot of small payments are coming from all over the world. Like, this sounds fishy. So we had, like, to get all of our documentation saying, okay, the Brazilian report is owned by Gustavo and Laura. We are here. This is our passport copies and it everything. It was a nightmare. You remember yeah. that you were looking for your like a student ID? Or no, my like, social security. Yeah, yeah. Because, your social security yeah. ID. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I was trying to say, okay, maybe like showing that I have a social security number can get us with a PayPal made payment gateway, but it didn't work because the company had to be like, it was a shit show. But then, like, fortunately, they saw this is a legitimate business, so you can keep running in. I mean. <laughs> no, but we are laughing today, but we were not at, at that time. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was really a nightmare. Yeah, it was panic because yeah. we were like, okay, this will allow us to reach breaking point much faster. And I was just like, they're taken away, like, after just giving us the taste of. Yeah, it was like, what, one week, three days? Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. And Laura, what else? What do you have any kind of favorite accomplishments, favorite moments, something like that? Um, I think like one of the big accomplishments was seeing how respected our analysis had become by our clients, you know, and uh, around the media sphere. Like we started to hold conferences and things to inform our audience about issues in Brazil and Latin America. And um, we were doing that as a Brazilian report, not as individuals. That was really, really gratifying. Um, the second moment I have in mind uh, was during the pandemic. We saw lots of newsrooms laying people off and we did the total opposite and hired more. Uh, 
And we didn't cut wages. Yes, which... yes. And the whole pandemic experience really brought our team together. It was a difficult time, but we all worked as a unit and became stronger. And then once we were able to gather together again, we held our annual celebration with the entire team, many of whom had never met in person, and everyone got on so well. It was such a special moment to see all that come together, you know. Um, and also like when we started to win awards, uh, we only started to apply for these things last year and we've already picked up four. I think that was just great validation that we are doing excellent work. And we've, we've kind of touched on the pandemic already a couple of times. So what was that experience like for you guys, you know, running the company and also just for the website as a whole? I mean, I think that we, we, we got through it okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, it was horrible because I have asthma, so I was really freaked out at first. And then just like having to cover bad news after bad news every day, like takes a, a, a toll on us. But I, I, I really think like we did a great job. And that's when we had a lot of interesting ideas that really filled our business, like our live blogs. That was, was when it all started uh, with the coronavirus live blog. Uh, and I think like the fact that we were able to preserve everyone's salaries and to hire more people and to try like creating a way that uh, would be less punishing. And I mean, I hope we managed to do it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it was, um, it, it was a fulfilling experience overall, like with all the terrible stuff going on and we were able to rally together and, uh, grow stronger. But I mean, just to be clear, I don't know, I do not want this kind of experience ever again. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a, a very hard moment for everyone and, uh, we managed to get through it. Personally, I was very, very impressed with the editorial team having to write about death, suffering, fear, and disaster for what was basically two years nonstop. You know, that must have been hard and uh, you all managed it. And, and uh, COVID denialism. Right? Yeah, yeah. And at the time, we also started our Buy Me A Coffee page, you know, and uh, because I wanted to create more links with our readers. Uh, and, and the donations and messages we started receiving were so heartwarming, especially at such a difficult time. So I think it, it helped, you know, to, to give even more value to the job we, we were doing. Very yeah. necessary. Yeah, I'd agree. Because I remember we were all kind of at home at the time, you know. Um, our only contact with each other was just, you know, through through a computer screen, essentially. So, you know, that, that kind of link with the with the members was was pretty useful, I'd say. Um, and so, guys, if you could just kind of, if you could go back to day one, um, like what what kind of pointers would you give to a, a, a young Gustavo and a, a young Laura from, from five years ago? Well, we're still young, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily, you. luckily, this is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think uh, just like, be more relaxed and like trust, trust more, uh, like trust yourself more, a little bit more, because um, I think like 
especially uh, what I said about the fact that like when you have a payroll, then you like, okay, now the margins for error are much smaller because then it's not just you that is failing. Then you're essentially like having a negative impact on other people. So just like, okay, trust what you're doing. It's all going to be fine. Uh, in that sense, Laura is much more Brazilian than I am. She, she, she's much more fed tudo certo. But uh, also, um, I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, we, we have always tried to do the best we can. So in a, many ways, like it's hard to say what I would have done differently because even the, our screw-ups eventually taught us something or help us in the future. Maybe, uh, like, be more keen on social media to me because I really hate social media. <laughs> like, I, oh, yeah, I only use too. Twitter, like, for professional reasons, but I really hate it. And so if I could go back in time, like, try to develop a taste for try it. Try to this. like it more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to steal that one from you as well. <laughs> like, uh, being more active on social media that I really don't like. Uh, but I would say, like... Um, you know, to take risks, not to be afraid to try things out. Uh, also to be more relaxed because at the end, there is a solution for everything. It's Brazil, guys. Jesus, people are <laughs> going to think we're so like stressed out freaks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, also I would say to myself, maybe to invest in programming, you know, like uh, running the, the technical side of things can be really, really difficult because you never know what can go wrong. And having that type of knowledge helps you to solve these kind of headaches, uh, which are often unavoidable. <laughs> and so, guys, it's the anniversary today. Uh, have we got anything special planned? Have I got time to get my tuxedo dry cleaned? <laughs> okay, so British guy with a tuxedo is hard not to think 007. <laughs> Sorry for the cliche. <laughs> that, that, that is exactly what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's say that we've got a big annual gathering planned for next month and you can be sure that we will have plenty to celebrate. And until then, though, we have the small matter of a presidential election to cover. So I would say, of course, it's keeping us busy all the way through the anniversary. Uh, try to avoid uh, hangovers until October. <laughs> exactly, <30. laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so then what about the, the 10th anniversary episode? What do you want to have achieved by the 10th anniversary of, 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 of the Brazilian report? Oh. That's a tough question. Yeah, very, very tough question. Uh, I'd say maybe to open a new office in another country in Latin America, you know, like maybe Mexico or Colombia. That would be um, a good thing. Uh, also to, to continue to develop, you know, um, the conferences, uh, the, the, the different content we can provide uh, on a tailor-made basis for clients. Um, I think I really would go um, to, to deep that side of the Brazilian report. Um, and uh, maybe like more immersive articles. Like uh, yeah. I, I, I like immersive articles. I saw some great examples and I really would love to implement that, you know, like, uh, ah, but let's, Ah, you were talking about the 10th anniversary. Okay, I, I was talking about 2023. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's hard to answer, I think, because uh, especially in Brazil, in terms of like what's going to happen politically, it's hard to predict 
where we're going to be in five months, let alone in five years. But I think for me, uh, what I really want us is to um, have more and more muscle to like do special coverage trips, uh, to do special reports in a lot of places where today it's harder for us to get because of budgetary reasons, because we're a small newsroom. But uh, like to have more and more muscle and like you said, be more present in other countries. Uh, and for that, we need more subscriptions. So please go to brazilian.report <laughs> slash subscribe and go to buymeacoffee.com. So just a little merchandise <laughs> in here. But yeah, no, I, I, I think I think every year we're trying to develop like a new facet. So uh, we had the podcast and we turned the podcast into something like structured. It, it was a little bit chaotic if you listen to the first episodes. Um, and then like getting more and more acquainted to like how to do bigger stuff. And I mean, uh, I wouldn't imagine five years ago that we would, have done the things we have and we would have reached the audience we have. So anything I say now, I, I hope and I think we're going to eclipse that in five years. <laughs> where we are today, it's the way I was thinking things, but it's like really much better than I had imagined. But I would say that everything you mentioned for me, it's like a matter of maybe two years, you know, not 10, like 10, yeah. 10 would be like. So guys, how about you? Where do you want us yeah. to be in 10 years? Um, <laughs> hopefully still in business. <laughs> I think that would be important. Um, no, I think there's, there's so far that the Brazilian report can go in terms of the way that it is, like the reputation that it has in Brazil and around the world, we've already, you know, gone so far in these five years. And yeah, I mean, potentially a kind of trip to the World Cup to cover Brazil, that would be pretty good. I yeah. think in, in, okay. in four I, years time, we could do that. Noted. Um, <laughs> revive the sports newsletter, right? Revive the sports <laughs> newsletter and pay me full time to write only about football. That would be good. <laughs> So, guys, thanks a lot for joining me today. Uh, happy anniversary to the Brazilian Report, and here's to many, many more. Thank you, Yuan. Thank you, Yuan. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second, and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or, better yet, sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively and for our work, we've been shortlisted for two entries in the Online Journalism Awards, which are decided by ONA, the Online News Association. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.